Amen. You can be seated this morning. What a great group. Great to have you here today as we conclude our series that we have been doing over the last many weeks called Invest in the Person. And today we're talking about invest in the person who needs a family in order to be a family. We have all kinds of families here at EVC. We have all walks of life, all different types of of families and different types of individuals. But today what we're going to be focusing on is simply this. How do we as a church continue to invest and put our investment into families who need a family in order to understand how a family operates? I love the whole metaphor of the family of God. Amen? I love the fact that we are a family. Whatever we do rises or falls as a family. We do it together as the body of Christ. And we're not just talking about our individual local church. We're talking about the family of God that is all over our community. We, we gather together to be a part of other Bible-believing Jesus Christ proclaiming churches in our area. We unite together with them. We are the family of God. Amen? Well, as I think about families, I think about all the families that I grew up watching on television. Now, I'm going to age myself quickly this morning as one wonderful individual also known as, well, I'm not going to tell her name because she was not nice to me. She said, hey, I figured out today when you graduated college, I was three. And she's a mother of three now. And I'm like, I could have gone all day without knowing that, all right? That was not, so I'm going to age myself, but some of you will flow with me about some of these TV families. Do you remember this one? What were their names? Do you remember? The Cleavers. This is Leave It to Beaver, this clean cut. We don't see that many families like this anymore, do we? And what we discovered is that even while this was being filmed, there were all kinds of of things that were going on in the background of these characters' lives. They portrayed one thing, but they kind of were living something else. And then one of my personal favorites that I still learned life from is the Andy Griffith Show, all right? Even this week, uh, uh, Andy was telling Opie something as I watched an episode, and I was like, that is such a good lesson of life to, to teach. Like, Why don't we see lessons like that taught today in this? And sometimes I'm even called Barney Five. I may or may not have a bullet in my pocket right now. I will not put it in my gun. I'd likely shoot myself in the foot, so we don't want to do that. And then there's this family. This one was a huge one for my family. Do you remember their name? Their name is the... Waltons, okay, all the kids are going in the room are going, who are those people? Well, if you're in a Netflix show hole, you should watch the Waltons, okay? All kinds of life lessons that you can learn from the Waltons and things. And, and to this day, I still at night say, good night, John Boy, even though John Boy doesn't live at my house. So I, I don't do that. And then we have one of my personal favorites, this family, the Jeffersons, right? And what are the Jeffersons doing? They are moving on up is what the Jeffersons are doing, right? So I love the Jeffersons and loved all the things that I learned from that show. And then we had this evil family. You remember them? Yes. The family of Dallas. That's right. And we waited a whole year to see who shot JR because it could have been anybody. We all wanted to kill JR, right? So we see these families. But some of my greatest images is understanding the fact that we are the family 
of God. Listen to this passage in Ephesians 2. It says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Now, I hope that family is a positive image for you, but I know this group. I know this group, and I know the understanding that sometimes family's not always the most positive image for us. I know for my family, we have long said that we put the fun in dysfunction, right? So as we think about family, and then one particular family that I will not name, but I love them dearly, they said this this week, they've moved from, we put the fun in dysfunction to embrace the awkward. That is the new motto, right? Embrace the awkward. Well, listen, I hope family is a positive image for you. But even if it's not, we want to redeem that metaphor today. We want to redeem that image of what family has been designed to do and to be. Because we are a conglomeration of families who become one single unit as a family. We do more together than we could separately. We celebrate what God has done in this pledge and this offering so that we can continue to be a place which is available for other people in this community. My wife shared with me this passage, and I love it. It has become a very much a favorite one of mine because it says this. It comes from Psalms 68, verse 5 and 6, and it says, God is the father to the fatherless. He is the defender of widows. This is God, whose dwelling place is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. I love that aspect of God places the lonely in families. I go back to when I first moved to Texas. I just graduated from college, so this is when this all came about for this young lady in the last service. It was 1990. I had graduated, just graduated. You weren't born. Don't even talk about this front row right here. They weren't even born, all right? So 1990, and I just left this place, this wonderful environment of college where everybody was around my same age. They were all my closest friends. We were all excited about life and the things that were ahead of us. We had spent so much time together. We knew each other very well, and I jettisoned out of that environment and landed here in North Texas. I was getting ready to to complete my master's degree at Southwestern Seminary. I I was a youth pastor at a local church in North Richland Hills, Keller area, and I wound up in a church where I was the youth pastor to a generation that wasn't my own, and everyone else in the church were boomers and builders. I was like the only Gen X person, and that's where I learned my Gen X tendencies. Or Generation X, you realize we dislike boomers because they, they just dumped on us, and we dislike millennials because they've ganged up with boomers and dumped on us. And so Generation X, we're just, we're just mad at everybody is what we are. So, so again, here I am, and I am one of the only single people in this church of all these young families. And so I'm watching them come into church, and I am just like, I'm like, well, I love all these families. I, you know, I left all my friends, and I drive to seminary. I come back, and I engage in in my whole life into these teenagers, and I am just lonely. The year before, I had been a groomsman in six of my friends' weddings. Always the groomsman, never the groom, all right? I was lonely and tired of renting tuxes. I should have bought a tux. That's what I should have done, but I did not do that. I was lonely. And it was back in the day and age where, okay, hold on front row, y'all are going to be, there was no internet, okay? (laughs) 
there were no cell phones. We did a thing called a church newsletter. Raise your hand if you remember the church newsletter. It is gone by the way of the dinosaur. There are no more church newsletters. But I'll never forget writing this article in this church newsletter. And I wrote how I love seeing all the young families coming into church, and it just really blessed my heart to be able to, to be able to disciple some of these students, and that one day I long to be a part of the, one of the families that are a family like all these other families. And a lady who taught youth Sunday school for me at the time, I'm dating myself with youth Sunday school, but she was a counselor at one of the local high schools. And she called me and she said, Randy, that is one of the most pathetic articles I've ever read in my entire life. She said, are you that sad and lonely? I'm like, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I guess I am. I was trying to be truthful with where I was at the time. I did not know that it was being, uh, you know, checked uh, by others in this. And so she set me up on a blind date. She felt so bad for me. She set me up on a blind date with one of her former students who was now in college. And you can imagine how blind dates go, right? Well, this blind date went very well. We got married a year to the date from that particular date. We've been married for 25 years, yeah. So uh, she, was in the, she was in the last service, and what Jennifer typically says now is, hey, don't blame her for me, okay? I, I was the best she could do at the time, okay? That's what she says for that, but listen. We, we all understand what that's like, don't we? We understand what it's like to be in a crowd of people and still feel lonely. But you see, we are a family. For good or for bad, through thick and thin, through the struggling days and through the great days, we are a family here at EVC. And we want to be here for one another. We want to invest in one another's lives. We are, we are a part of an understanding of all different kinds of families. We have single-person families here at EBC. We have single-parent families. We have both-parent families. We have blended families, families with special needs, families without kids, families with young kids. Families with teenagers, let's pray for them, could we? All right, no. I love teenagers, it's the reason I'm in ministry, it's the reason I became a pastor to adults is because I saw as a youth pastor an opportunity to reach students and realized that if we did not reach their parents, we would have great teenagers who would go back home and they would not, it would not be reinforced. And so I decided we've got to parent adults like we parent teenagers, but that's the reason I'm in what I do today. We have empty nest families, but when it's all said and done, we do everything we do together as the family of God. We invest in the person who needs a family to be a family because we need the investment of others. We need the investment of those of you who might be empty nesters, you might be retired, we need your experience, we need your knowledge, we need your ability, we need your availability of time. We need you to invest in this generation that is younger. We need you. We need those of you who are in this millennial, in this Generation Z. We need you because we need your energy, we need your enthusiasm, we need your ideas. Even if we feel like they are ideas that we have tried and they didn't work, that doesn't mean they won't work for your generation, amen? 
We need to continually reach new families, new people, but we must always pastor and shepherd and reach all families. Amen? This is who God has called us to be. We dream of a ministry to the 35% of millennials in our area. They are the largest generational group in the area of which we serve in this local congregation. We need to continually go after and reach those millennials who believe that the church is no longer relevant to their lives. And the only way that they're going to see that the church is relevant to their lives is when we stop looking at them through judgmental eyes and simply call upon ourselves to decrease ourselves and lift them up and to love them unconditionally. Amen? That is what God has called us to do and to be. We want to reach Generation Z, the second largest demographic group in our area, and then it goes to boomers, and then Xers, and then builders. We need to continue to reach this younger generation because we need to reach them now. By the age of 15, if they don't accept Christ by the time that they are 15 years of age, it goes up exponentially, up exponentially how difficult it is for someone to come to faith in Christ. We need to continue to reach Generation Z. We need to reach the generation that is after them. They may not even have a name. I don't know the demographer name for that generation that is in our children and preschool age right now, but we continually need to reach them. I do not want it to be on my watch that when I get to heaven and I present myself to the Lord that he says, oh, it was on your watch, Randy, that America became post-Christian. We are on the verge of that now, and I don't want it to be on my watch, because if it's on my watch, guess whose else's watch it's on? It's on yours as well, because we are a family. And whatever we go through and whatever we do, we do together. God has called us to do this and to be this. We dream of a ministry to single moms and dads with no extended family, no relatives in the area, that we might minister into their lives and be the family that they don't have access to. We want to be the family to those who have no general relatives in our area, but we become the place. Because you need to understand, I spend more time with all of you than I do any of my immediate relatives. Because you are my family just as much as my physical family is today. But you see, Paul understood this. Paul ministered in a culture where he sought to reach others who were outside of his culture and people who were inside his culture. And he speaks directly to us today in how it is that we are to be and to invest in those who do not have families so that they would have a family as part of the family of Christ. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I want you to turn there. Have your Bible open, pull it out on your phone. We realize most of you do not carry your Bibles anymore. It's on your phone, and here at EVC, I want you to know that's okay, all right? We want you to have it on your phone. We want you to have it in your life. We want it to be available to you. So however, whatever medium you have, I want you to look at this passage. It says this, verse 19, even though I am a free man with no master, Paul says, I'm free. The law no no longer keeps me bound. I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to become, uh, to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Paul didn't have to live under it any longer, but he chose to live under it. He became a slave to it. Why? So that he could bring other people to Christ. Even though I am not subject to the law, he says, I did this so I could bring to Christ those 
who are under the law. When I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. You realize the whole reason that formerly Saul changed his name to Paul was for this very reason. He wanted to reach people in his culture. He wanted to reach people outside of his culture. And he knew with the name Saul it would be difficult to reach those Gentiles because it was a Jewish name. Paul changed his name in order to be able to reach people for the gospel. Which brings me to my first point today, and it's simply this question. How am I available to those who need my investment? How am I available? That's the key word. How am I available to those who need my investment? Paul clearly helps us to see that he declares his freedom here. He says, no one, no one owns me any longer. The law, I am no longer under the law, but I put myself, I choose to be under the law in order that I might relate to those people who are under the law. I, even though I lived and grew up this way, I no longer am under the law, and so for the Gentiles, I will act as though I'm not under the law, because Paul was simply saying this, I want to do whatever it takes in order to win people to Jesus Christ, because I only have so much time on this earth, and the most important thing is what is absolutely eternal. It is not how much wealth I can attain to. It is not the possessions that I hold on to. It is what can I do to reach more people for Christ. So here's the question that goes with my availability. What do you and I need to adjust in our our lives that we might bring more people to faith in Christ? What do we need to adjust adjust in our life that we might invest in others? Do Do we need to quit our jobs? No. If you quit your job, how are you going to fulfill the pledge that you made last week to EVC? No, no, no. But we don't quit our jobs. Why? Because it's our very jobs that give us the skills and the abilities and the relationships with people that are the very people that God wants us to minister to. We don't drop out of school because it's school that that we will have more opportunity under the age of 24 to have the conversations and opportunities with relationships. We'll have closer relationships under the age of 24 than we will have for the rest of our lives. Jennifer and I got into a discussion this week because my college roommate came back and uh, he is is actually, uh, his daughter is visiting some universities around and we were commenting about the fact that she talks to her friends on a daily basis and I talk to my friends at least once every six months, all right? But when they're back in town, we are like we've never left. I said, you see, we don't waste our time on all these daily conversations. We just do it once every six months, and it's good for us. But listen, how do you need to adjust your life? Under the age of 24, your relationships have more impact than you will ever have in closeness to people for the rest of your life. So make that impact now. Now, it doesn't mean the rest of us are disqualified, but ask yourself that question. How do you and I need to adjust our lives in order that we might invest in others? I, for one, spent time in a voting line this week. For an hour and a half, I waited in line in order to cast my ballot for democracy. But I'm reminded with all of the fervor and with the tinderbox that our country is right now, we don't really relate to Jews and Gentiles. We do relate to Republicans and Democrats. 
So I want to rewrite this in a little bit of an understanding with an understanding of where we are in our culture right now. So listen to it this way. No one has the authority to dictate to me any longer what obedience is because I am first and foremost obedient to Christ. But with that in mind, I choose to serve others because I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. I choose to serve those with liberal ideas. I choose to serve those with conservative ideas. I choose to serve generations that I may not even understand, or we might even say that I may not even like. I will constantly give up my rights. I will constantly give up my resources to make way for others because that is what I see Jesus constantly doing. But at the end of the day, I choose not to simply uh, do what I want to do, but I submit my heart, my mind, and my actions to be involved where Christ wants me to be involved. That is this passage in a nutshell for our generation. It is not about what our particular ideals. You know, our country is in such, like I said, this tinderbox of all these ideas. But where does it come in the body of Christ where we would lay down our opinions and love people unconditionally? That is what God has called us to do and to be. It's one thing to to have a difference of opinion, but it's another thing for us to love one another into the kingdom. Rather than look down our judgmental eyes upon what we think they need to change in order to come here. That is never what the church is, has been, and it's not what this church is going to ever be. But you see, we're busy people. But here's the truth. We're all busy. Every single one of you in some way, shape, or form think that your life is likely busier than everybody else's. I had a meal this week with a great friend of mine. His kids are, uh, are teenagers right now. And he was talking to me just about the busyness of life. Jennifer and I have had this discussion time and time again. We thought that when we entered the empty nest, when our kids went off to college, that we would have all this time. And we don't have any more time. Matter of fact, what we say is we actually have less time. Now, we're not changing diapers, we're not doing the toddler activities, we're not going to the school activities in frenetic pace like I know that some of you are experiencing right now. But we're at a different stage of life where now we are leading other people. And that leadership and that investment into other people is messy. And when you get involved in people's lives, it gets messy and it gets time consuming and can, it can be all consuming. But here's the truth today. We're all busy. The question is, will you and I make the priority decision to be available in somebody else's life? One of the greatest successes of my ministry came when I was at that church that I was talking about earlier because I understood the beauty of bringing generations together. I stumbled into it. Actually, it was around Thanksgiving time, which we're coming up uh, to now. And I gathered all of our senior adults, which for that church was anyone over 50. I've just entered the age of senior adulthood by my own definition. But I gathered all of those over 50, and the student ministry that I led put on a Thanksgiving dinner for all of those who were over 50. And again, it was prior to cell phones. So what happened is as they got together and they ate together and they talked, 
I saw wisdom transfer between these two groups. I saw energy. I saw life. Because you see, humility is the great equalizer. When we humble ourselves to serve somebody else, when we humble ourselves to find the available time, we, we begin to realize this whatever stage of life that you're in, that you have time if you simply make that time that's available. You see, I've walked through a lot of things in my life. At a younger age than most, I lost both my parents. After I lost my mom, I walked through life with my father. It was a struggle. And I remember standing at my father's funeral. And people who had invested in me, people who had invested in my father, I remember telling that crowd who had lots of gray hair in the crowd, I said, look, I see lots of gray hair. And I'm asking you, from someone who's going through this right now, to all of you who have gray hair, get rid of your stuff. Because if you don't get rid of it, your kids are going to have to get rid of it. I've said that before, and I've actually had people say, I want you to know we're getting rid of our stuff. Well, that's great. But here's the thing. You see, I've walked through life. I've walked through aging parents. I've walked through uh, a struggle uh, of going through uh, a battle of cancer with my mom. I've gone through the understanding of losing both of my parents. I've walked through uh, stages of life with my teenage daughters, with my young daughters, with my daughters heading to college. And I have things to give, and I have still things to learn. Amen? And that's what this part of this process is. We have opportunities to give into somebody else's life. All that we need to do is to give part of what we've understood and, and, and we explain it to someone else. What does it mean for us? Well, if you're retired in the room today, we need your time. We have a lot of young families in this place and a lot of things that you can give, but one of the greatest things you can give is just listening and sharing your wisdom with other people. We need you in this congregation. We need you in this family. If you have young kids, then I want to encourage you, find an older adult that you can minister to. Your kids might need a grandparent figure. They need companionship. And other people need other things. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels. Seek out a single mom who is pushed to the edges or a single dad who is struggling to make things work and help them along their particular way. If you have teenagers, find a yard. Somebody in their 70s, take care of it. Sit down without your cell phone on the table and talk with them about their life and the wisdom they might want to share. One of my greatest and my best friend, we became friends through something that when I was a junior in high school, it was called the Adopt-A-Grandparent program. And you see, they paired up young men like myself and like my friend Alan with widowed ladies who were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the lady that I got to meet with, her name was Helen Graham. Alan's lady that he met with was Mary Lawrence, and they were best friends, so they would get all four of us together, and we would do things together, and he became my best friend. He'll be down here in the next week or so. We still, our families have, we vacation together, we do all these things together, but we met in giving of our available time through these ladies. And Helen Graham, she didn't give me money, but she prayed for me. And she taught me life wisdom. And when I went off to college, 
She prayed for me. When I got married, she was praying for me. And I guarantee you today, as I'm preaching this message, she is reminding the Lord of all the prayers that she had given me in those years, that they still make a difference for me today. Was I too busy? I was busy. Just like you teenagers feel today that you're busy. But the question is, are we available? Are we available when someone needs something? Are we available to give of our life, to give of our time in this? The second thing that we see in this passage comes from verse 22 and 23. Listen to what it says. He says, when I, was the, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Let me read that one more time. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring those that are weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. That's not easy, folks, to find common ground with everyone. It takes work. It takes priority. Doing everything that I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Now, one of the, one of the things that we do as pastors around here that we try to be very open with, we try to be open with our weaknesses. We try to be open with our struggles. Why? Because we want you to understand we walk this road just like you walk this road, and we struggle just like you struggle. Why? Because we are a family. And because we're a family, we walk in a struggling road together. So here's the question I want to ask you today. What are you challenged with today? What is your family struggling with today? What have you just discovered this past week that has become a source of contention, a source of pain in your life? It is that very thing that I believe God wants to use, your own weakness that God wants to use in the lives of other people around you to help them understand that you don't have it all together. The reason that the millennials don't want to, don't think that church is, is relevant to them anymore is because, quite honestly, they know a Christian who's not lived it in front of their lives. And this Christian likely has condemned them for who they are, and yet they see the incongruency and the hypocrisy in that same person who has judged them. We need to quit judging, and we need to start loving, and the opportunity for us to share in our weaknesses what our greatest struggles are, because it's then that we gain an audience for someone to actually listen to how Christ has transformed our life, and that even though we still struggle, we still have great things to give. Now, here's something that Paul is not saying. We need to be careful with this. Paul is not saying... I make whatever your weakness is, I make it my weakness. Paul never says that because you're addicted, I'm going to become addicted too so that I can minister to you in your addiction. If you remember just a few months ago, I actually gave you a definition of compassion. Compassion is not getting in the mud hole with someone else. It is holding on to the truth of who Christ is and offering a hand and being willing to do whatever it takes save letting go of Christ to help someone out of their current condition or situation. That's compassion. It's not getting in the hole with them, but it's loving them and being available to them in that process. My question is also, where do you need comfort? Where do you right now in your life, what, what, what struggle are you going through where you need comfort for, from someone else? Because God used this passage to actually call me into ministry. It's 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. It's not going to be up on the screen, so listen. 
It says, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Whatever you're struggling in today could be the very thing that launches you in the opportunity to invest your life in somebody else. Because as you see your own weaknesses, you allow those weaknesses to actually be places of strength for somebody else. The third and final thing that we see in this passage comes from verse 24 through 27 of chapter 9. Now, I love this because, uh, again, growing up, I love this passage because I was an athlete and I love to read this passage. I really don't consider myself an athlete anymore, but I still love this passage because as a teenager, it spoke in ways that I began to understand that if Paul and, and the Holy Spirit of God could speak through Paul to a teenager's life through this passage, it can continue to speak to us today. Verse 24, he says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Run to win. To win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. We're running this race not just to get a crown. We are running this race to get an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Don't waste any step that you're taking. Don't waste any step that you take as a young person. Don't waste any step that you take as a retired person. Single, or single mom, young mom, don't waste any step. Live your life with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing, he says. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. For my 30 years of ministry, that passage has rung in my ears at all times. Do not preach to others that you would be disqualified. There was a time in my life that I said, if I can't accomplish it, I'm not going to preach it. Those days ended with my first message, okay? I just want you to know that. But here's the truth. I don't evaluate, I don't say anything to you that I don't first run through the evaluation of, am I attempting to live this in my life? I may not be living it perfectly, but I want to live with purpose every part of my life. And here's the third question. How am I strategically seeking someone to invest my life in. This is not a message for pastors. This is a message for we as a part of the family of God. We will not reach this community. We will certainly never reach this world if you, hearing this message, think that it's our job to do all the disciple making. You go to Matthew 28, you read it for yourself, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and you see what Jesus called not just we as pastors to do, but all of the body of Christ to make disciples. My question is, how are we doing with that? How am I strategically looking at my life, being available, sharing my weaknesses? How am I walking in this that other people might hear about who Jesus really is? You see, every single one of you are running the race today. I know it looks like you're sitting, but you're not. You're really running. Your legs are going frenetically underneath the, underneath the seat that you're in. You are running the race. You're in it. You got out of bed and you came here. That proves to me that you are in the race. But we are in the race to win it, amen? 
We're here to win. I've read the end of the book. I have discovered that I'm on the winning team. But we don't seem to get all that excited about the fact that we're on the winning team. Instead, we act like Eeyore. Oh boy, looks like rain. Kicking the tires, walking through life. That is not what we are designed to do and to be. We are going to be the winners, amen? So let's act like winners. And let's realize that to win, we have to walk this race with purpose. Every step has to have purpose. What is the purpose to which God has called us to? It is discipleship. Our purpose is to make disciples. Well, here's how we do that. We become, as Pastor Bart talked about it several weeks ago, we become bridges. Now, the last time I checked, when I look at a bridge, a bridge touches two sides. Am I right? Otherwise, it's a bridge to nowhere, which that's a whole nother political issue that none of us really want to talk about. All right, but here it is. We are bridges, which means that we touch where we're going and we touch where we've been. We are not fully planted in either place as of yet. We are in between. We have to be connected to the culture that we're in, but we have to be fully focused on where we're going. We are the bridge, and this passage is an understanding that we are bridges to this culture. We are bridges to the people that God God has placed us in, and it requires all of us to raise up and to make disciples. We've discovered some incredibly brilliant strategies. Now hold on to your seats, okay? This is brilliant stuff that I'm getting ready to share with you. Our community, our millennial families, we discovered something not long ago. 99% of all of the millennial families who have children, hang on, they love their children. Let it settle, let it settle in. They love their kids. Well, here's a beautiful fact. We love their kids too. Now, do you see what that is? That's common ground. They love their kids and we love their kids. That's the reason that as part of this expansion, we would like to have an indoor play area. Is the indoor play area the end all of all ministry? No. Somebody's got to clean it. Somebody's got to watch over it. There's all kinds of things that go with an indoor play area. But you know what it says as people drive by and it's on the front end of this property? We care about your kids. When we have a fall festival, you may not believe in Halloween, I don't believe in Halloween, but we do a fall festival, why? Because we want our community to know we care about you. Fun family Christmas, why do we do this? Why do we open up our doors? Why do we put all this stuff into it? We do it because it's common ground. We want them to understand we're all about loving you. This is not about what we want. It's about what we want to provide. We capitalize on areas of common ground so that we can be the church that God has called us to be. We have a shared value. But as we think about this, we constantly tell you at EVC that parents, you are the primary disciplers of your children. Amen? It's not the church's role to be the primary discipler. You moms and dads have more time with your kids, and it is your God-given responsibility to be the disciples of your kids. So if you ask this question, who am I strategically, uh, who, have I, who does God place me strategically in their life to disciple them? Parents, you know your first step is your kids. Now, it's not your last step. 
I hate to tell some of you, you think you're done when your kids are gone. No, that's just your training ground to launch out and do and to disciple a whole lot of other people. But we want to partner with you to be able to disciple your kids. Now, how are we doing that? How are we trying to help you? I asked Pastor Dustin and Pastor Kendra, or Kendra and also Pastor Jamie to give me their thoughts because this is something that as a staff, we not only talk about this, we want to give you practical tools to do it. Some of the things that we're doing is in our preschool area, we're sending some take-home pages that have writing on it. Our preschoolers can't read. Who do you think the writing's for? Just saying. It's for you, all right? The writing is for you that you might reinforce those same things that God is doing in these classrooms and be able to bring it home. Pastor Dustin, just over this past last month, he, he did a thing called the EVC Science Night. He's going to be doing something later that's going to be EVC at the zoo, and it's an opportunity for our graded kids and parents to come together and learn how to disciple your kids as he gives you practical ways to be able to look at zoo animals and say, how do these lead to spiritual conversations with your kids? Pastor Jamie and Pastor Dustin are going, to be work, are going to be doing a mini conference this upcoming year to help you know steps of discipling your kids and how to deal with all the issues that technology brings in the home today because we know it is a constant battle and a constant fight. And we want to help you leverage technology instead of seeing it always as the enemy. Some people will say, I want, I want to see people reading their Bibles again. Well, here's the deal. Get over yourself, because people have their Bibles on their phones, and I'd much rather them have their Bible all the time with them than have to carry one with them. Now, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I want people to read their Bibles too, but their Bible is just as authentic on their phone as it is in their hands, okay? So let's use and leverage the technology that God has given us and see it make a difference. You see, the whole point is strategically we have to operate to make every step worthwhile. The Jews knew how to do this. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, and I'll close with this. It's called the Shema. Verses 4 through 9 says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord, is al- the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord is alone. Excuse me, let me start over. The Lord is not alone. He is not alone. I've done this twice already today, and God is not alone. Okay. (laughs) Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. See, I'm sharing my weaknesses with you. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves, you must purpose every step, wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. Talk about them when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Are we doing that today? No. Carry it in your phone. Read scripture on your phone and text it as as an opportunity to encourage your child when they're at school taking that test today. Say and talk about it. When your kid is, your child is in the back seat and they ask you some appropriate question while you're driving to a soccer match and they give you a teachable moment, mom and dad, respond to them. But know how to respond to them. That's where we want to walk with you. 
we've partnered with a group called Right Now Media that many of our life groups are using. But parents, every single person in this room has access to Right Now Media. Go to our website. We will help you get there. But it is an opportunity for you to have a place where you can watch some videos with your kids and be engaged in spiritual conversations. Take advantage of these resources. These are the things that we want to help you with. The Hebrews knew how to be strategic. Do we? Am I available? Am I transparent? Am I strategically seizing upon the opportunities to invest in people in my life? Let's invest in the person who needs a family to be a family. We are the family of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, we have the opportunity to to be the bridge to this culture, the bridge from who you are and where we will someday be to a culture who needs to hear you. God, we want to be a church that makes a difference. We want to be a church who stands in the gap, who reaches out to not just the ones who are here, but the ones who you are missing most. God, we want to be a place that continually makes strides to reach others that we might decrease, that you might increase. God, we want our lives to be abandoned to you. We want to give our all, just like King David did. We want to give you our whole lives, all of our time, all of our effort, because you first gave yourself to us. God, be glorified in our worship today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's worship with our hearts abandoned.